Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So great to be with you. And our title today is God's Revelation That Burns Through Racism, Part 1. God's Revelation That Burns Through Racism, Part 1. And actually, it's a message I'm going to share with you from Ephesians Chapter 2. Now, out of the tragedy of the George Floyd murder, there has been an awakening for so many in the United States, unprecedented, uh, at least in my lifetime. And... Uh, you know, something is clearly emerging, and uh, the protests uh, have, you know, are an expression of lament, of pain, and uh, it's amazing. Uh, so many uh, people who are white, in particular, like myself, are now protesting and active, and uh, it's really, a, it's, again, it's unprecedented. The question, however, is not, is this a summer fling or is it politically correct? Uh, which it is right now, the question really is what's God saying and what's going to happen long term uh, in us and through us as the Church of Jesus Christ. And so the only way there's going to be long-term change is with a revelation, a, a biblical revelation of, of being gripped by God of, of the gospel and its impl- the imp- gospel implications. And, and actually that is what changed, transformed my life when I came to Christ uh, many, many years ago and the whole trajectory of my life. And uh, so that's why our topic is God's revelation that burns through racism. And uh, again, we're going to come out of the book of Ephesians this week and next week. And so when Paul talks about the gospel and the blood of Jesus being shed on the cross for us, he can't help but talk about the implications of the gospel bridging racial races, cultures, genders, nations, social classes, economic classes, uh, all the divisions of towns and communities and families that 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 the power of the gospel to be grasped, something the Jerusalem church had a very difficult time with. Paul was able to flesh out in, in the epistles, and we're going to see it so clearly here in Ephesians. Uh, and so this message is meant by the grace of God not to give you some tips of what to do next. It's really actually more important. To, it's by God's grace to give you a revelation uh, that will actually kind of shake you about your whole life and how you're living it. And uh, I know every time I ponder it, it does that for me afresh. And included in this message, you're going to hear a, a, a racism bridge builder test. Uh, and then you're going to also share a continuum of where you are on the journey of actually being a bridge builder. Uh, and I'm not sure where I actually got the original idea of this kind of a inventory journey. And I'm, I, know, I know I adapted it, that I remember, but it's excellent. And uh, so as we move forward as a church, uh, it really is a new day. I, I love the text in Habakkuk 1 where it says, uh, the, uh, the Lord says to Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Habakkuk 1.5. And I believe God is doing something in our day. Uh, one of which is he's changing the definition of what is success for a church, what is success for us as Christ followers. And I believe that we're going to get more aligned with the apostle on this one. Uh, and switching the scorecard of success uh, from simply great services or large gatherings to, to deep transformational discipleship uh, for every single person in the church. And partially, which that's going to include is bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers, Addre- actually addressing this issue, letting the gospel penetrate us deeply enough that it burns through our own racism personally and collectively and systemically. So, uh, let me encourage you as you, as you hear this uh, uh, to go check out. There's a there's a wonderful free ebook on our website called Six Marks of a Church Culture That Deeply Changes Lives. 
Uh, and in that little ebook, you'll get a little vision as well of a, of a church culture that, because we're building cultures and communities that are radically different than the world. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. It's a very nice a companion to the message you're about to hear from Ephesians chapter 2. So the Lord bless you. Enjoy. Uh, and you may want to, again, ponder this scripture after you listen to this message uh, because there's such powerful depths and riches found in uh, Paul's words here. So God bless you. Enjoy it. Take care. Thank you. Please be seated. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Our theme this morning, as you'll see on the overhead projector behind me, uh, we're in a series called Entering the Stream of the Love of God from Ephesians, the whole book of Ephesians. And uh, today's theme is your new international family. Now, we've, we're in our fourth part. You'll notice in front of you both a list of different topics, but we began with talking about your new identity, that God's chosen us out of the world to be separate from the world, to be different and that he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit and adopted us as sons and daughters. And that he didn't just choose us and give us a new identity, he gives us a new power. We talked about that in the second message, your new power, this power that raised Christ from the dead. And then lastly, we talked about the fact in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that he's made you a masterpiece. You're, you've got a whole new, um, you're a work of art and all unfolding of that. Now this morning, he's going to move into this, this, this theme that, that you're not just, all this is true, but you're now part of a whole new international family. And he's going to expound on that. So I want to just read, actually, uh, of, the, of the verses, verses 11 to 22 is our text. But I want to read from you verses 14 to 18, all right, of Ephesians chapter 2, where it reads as follows. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Amen. All right. I want to begin, uh, as we, before we dive into this passage, uh, by giving you a test. All right. It's a, it's, the, it's a racism slash bridge builder test, and it's going to be 11 questions. All right. So I'll try to read them slowly and pause at the end of each one so you can think of it. Take the test yourself. All right. Number one, is there a particular group of people or ethnicity or race that you simply can't stand? Is there a particular group of people, ethnicity or race, that you simply can't stand? Number one. In fact, what I'm going to do, I'll make sure this gets on the website. Those of you who want to know, you don't want to write these down. I purposely did not put them on the PowerPoint, by the way. Um, okay, number two. Is there, a, is there any particular group or ethnicity or race that your child cannot marry or that you would not marry? Number three, what types of people cause you to cross the street if you are walking alone? What types of people cause you to walk the street, 
cross the street if you're walking alone. Number four, when you think about images that portray beauty and sophistication, what culture or color is it imaged after? When you think about beauty and sophistication, what culture or color is it imaged after? Number five, what, if anything, happens inside of you when you see interracial couples? Or which types or combinations of couples? Number six, when's the last time you visited the home or apartment of someone from a different culture or race? Or when was the last time you invited them to your house or apartment? Number seven, what's your attitude towards people or groups that prefer music that is different than your preference? For example, classical or hard rock or pop or hip-hop or jazz or R&B, rhythm and blues or gospel or heavy metal? Number eight, have you ever asked someone or another, someone of another group to answer a question as a spokesperson for the entire race and culture? Have you, ever, have you ever asked, number nine, have you ever, I'm sorry, number eight, have you ever asked someone of another group to answer a question as a spokesperson for their entire race or culture? Number nine, what type of person would you most trust to invest or steward your money? What type of person would you least trust to invest or steward your money. Number 10, when you meet people from another race or culture who do not fit your stereotype, that is they're nicer, smarter, dumber, more aggressive, passive, articulate than you expected, are you surprised? And now number 11, when a driver of another car is driving too fast, too slow, making a mistake, and they are of a different ethnicity, do you say to yourself, figures? <laughs> now, part of our sinful humanity is to erect barriers and see ourselves over and against somebody else. It's been going on since the beginning of history. It went on in the womb of Rebecca with Jacob and Esau. Remember, the two nations are in your womb, they got to fight their whole lives. And, but every day in the newspaper, we're reading about it, right? I mean, it's there every day. I mean, I, you know, Iraq, I mean, Sunni and Shiite, Muslims alone trying to, who's got an answer for that conflict? That goes back centuries. I mean, bin Laden and his group towards the West, I mean, talk about division in Western culture. I mean, I, you might have to say, regardless of your politics, how do you understand villages celebrating after 9-11, party and parades in the street in certain parts of the world? How deep is the gap of the West and the East? I mean, just take Jews and Arabs. I mean, just that conflict of Palestinian-Israeli how deep, deep the hatred is. If you, you know, we have Palestinians and Jews in our church here, and I've spoken to both, and it's profound, profound. How about Koreans and you know, Japanese, or Japanese and Chinese, from going back to the war, and 
Puerto Ricans and South Americans. And we have some Serbs and Croatians and Bosnians. And you think of the conflicts of Rwanda and some of the tribal conflicts in Africa, if you know some of the history of Hutu and Tutsis and that unleashed that genocide in Rwanda, 800,000 people killed in six weeks. Think of Turks and Armenians, and we've got both here at New Life. If you know anything about the Armenian genocide, late 1910, 1915, 1919, it was a million Armenians, you know, wiped out. First genocide, they say, of the 20th century. And the, and the Turk, Turks not recognizing it and all the depth of hatred and animosity there. I can go on on Kurds, Dominicans, and Haitians. That history of Latin America, even just the issue of color of skin, the worldwide issue of color of skin, Darker your skin, lower on the ladder, right? Even within the African-American community itself, I mean, and you got and, and, uh, Latin American history, I mean, it's a worldwide issue. It's, 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 it's so deep that it's awkward to even talk about it, isn't it? It's so out there. I mean, I, I, I did not study in depth this whole Bill Riley issue that happened at Sylvia's this past week. You know, Bill Riley's a commentator on Fox News, I believe, and he went to Sylvia's restaurant in Harlem for dinner with Al Sharpton, I believe. and he, I don't know. I, I want to be careful what I say. I just know that it's quoted as saying that he was surprised. Like, wow, this is an African-American-owned well, you know, restaurant. But, um, you know, it's in Harlem. And he was like, wow, this is like an Italian restaurant. Like, wow, everyone's so civil kind of a thing, you know. And, you know, it's like, really, it was really it's, if he said that, if he said what I said he said, it was pretty awful, you know. And, uh, but we read that all the time, don't we? These kinds of things that go on in the newspapers and people in power and and, uh, but I, I think we, we underestimate, I know we underestimate the deep differences that divide people. And we underestimate the depth of our own racism and struggle with it. And we forget it goes back thousands of years in some cases. It's so profound. And uh, the, you, you think of, I always think of even my elementary school, you know, just grammar school. You know, you've got the cool people who are in the in group, the beautiful people, and they got the out people. Those who can't play baseball, you know, or in my case, you know, seven years old, you know, and, and you, it's us and them. It's us versus them. And, it's a, and, and, and you think of even workplace, many workplaces. You've got management, right? And you've got the laborers, you know. You, you've got the people. We live in the city and you've got the, the suburbs, you know. We, we've got Staten Island. <laughs> that thought about seceding at one point. Do you remember that a few years back? And the rest of the boroughs, you know. Republican. Democrat, deep, right? Then go on. And then what happens, all this gets mixed up into moral superiority and, and what's godly and virtuous. It's very confused, very difficult. You know, I was reading a, a Christian uh, from India, wrote a book called uh, Dalit Freedom, Now or Forever. And he was, he's, he's in the untouchable class. And uh, India has four castes. Uh, and, and then there's the untouchables that are below the four castes. You've got the Brahmins, you've got what's called the warrior class, the second caste, I'm sorry. Then you've got the business caste, then you've got the worker class, the lower, then they, they support the other higher up ones. And then you've got, under that, you've got 250 million what's called Dalits or untouchables. They don't even make it as a caste. And you're not allowed to touch an untouchable in Hindu tradition, uh, how they live, they're, 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 not, they're, they're, they're a little bit better than animals. And if you're, regardless in India of your education or achievement, you cannot change your caste. You are there for life. You can't marry outside your caste. And uh, so the Dalits, the untouchables, many of whom are Christians, are, are on the lowest. And um, they are given the, the worst jobs, so cleaning latrines and 
that nobody else wants. And they, they did a study of, the, of human rights violations. Uh, and just in a two-year period in the 90s, there was 100,000 hate crimes against the untouchables. You know, I'm talking about serious hate crimes like murder, rape, you know, assault, because they're not humans. And you dehumanize people and all kinds of things are acceptable. Now, what's interesting is that I'm not a sociologist, but I do read a few editorials anyway. And, and many of the editorials that you'll read in places like the New York Times and Atlantic Monthly are saying that American culture itself is becoming more segregated. I know it does, we live in New York, it's quite different. But that if you look at retirement communities, they're building them based on their, they want to be with people like themselves. And people move to parts of the country to be people like themselves. And, and they say the globalizations and technology and communications is actually people are, you think of bringing close together, it's actually causing greater divisions of ethnicities. And that the trend in America, and if I may be so bold, even in the church as a whole, is to greater separation. And uh, very profound. And uh, much has been written actually about even that the, that the American evangelical megachurch movement itself perpetuates racism because it creates insular communities where you can be with people like yourself and not have to have contact with other people. And so it just creates more social relationships that you don't have to deal with those people. You live in residential neighborhoods that are segregated, that you go to a church that's segregated, and basically it's all theory for you. It's, it's because it doesn't touch your life. So uh, that's the present situation. And, and, and really, this is, this is all of history. You can go to any country in the world, as far as I know, all of history, there is racism. It's because it's, it's part of sin. And it's, and it's demonic. Now, in the times of when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, and we're going to get to the text in a moment, he was writing into an environment that was deeply divided like ours. It was no different than ours, just different you know, labels, but deeply divided. And Greeks, we have some Greeks here, so please excuse me you know, from Greece. But the Greeks, for example, they, they, they considered everybody who was not a Greek was a barbarian because they, had, you know, they were educated and they were the civilized people. And so even Plato himself. And, and so you had lots of slaves and, and free owners. And, and they, you know, obviously the slaves saw, I mean, owners saw their slaves as a little bit higher than animals, but, and, the, and the slaves resented their owners. And that was all over the Roman Empire. And you can imagine the big tension that was for the church as both got converted. And the slave is now the, the pastor. Tremendous tensions in the early church with all this stuff. And then you had the Jew-Gentile thing that was gigantic. Gentiles despised the Jews, and uh, that's why pogroms or, you know, uh, persecutions against Jews, you know, that's historical. But then Jews hated the Gentiles. I mean, God called the Jews out. I mean, uh, we, we have a good number of Jewish believers in our church here, and so God bless you. And, and most of us, however, are Gentiles. We're outside, you know, the chosen people. But God chose the Jews to be a light to the Gentiles. They, they were to be a blessing to the world. But that got all twisted up, and, and, and the Jews saw themselves as superior. And, and so you have writings in the times of Jesus that read as follows. The Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. That's the depth of hatred that Jews had for Gentiles. And, and they wrote things like, it's not lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her time of need because that would simply bring another Gentile into the world. And when a Jew entered Palestine, they would shake the, sand, shake the, the dust off their feet and off their clothes lest they bring contamination into the Holy Land. And of course, if a young man, Jewish man married a Gentile, there'd be a funeral immediately, he's dead. That even to this day is still the case in some cultures. But no, no Jew would ever eat, drink, drink milk that was, you know, from a cow milked by a Gentile or meat touched by a Gentile. Because that's dirty. And uh, because Gentiles were considered less, you know, less than human by Jews of that day. And what a twisting of how God originally intended it. And, and so in the temple itself, you had a big wall. And what we talked about, the passage has this thing of a dividing wall that if you pass through this wall, it says trespassers will be persecuted. 
And you know, in Acts, it says Paul brought this Gentile guy into the temple. They wanted to kill Paul. There was a rumor that he brought this Gentile guy into the temple. They wanted to kill Paul for it. That, that's how deep the hatred was towards, towards Gentiles. So, and so I just want to step back. You know, and I want you to see the scope of the problem and, and, and depth of it. Because many of us get, uh, you know, oh, yes, it's really interesting, really fascinating. You know, I'm really interested. Uh, but quit very quickly because you don't, you don't, they don't get it. We underestimate three things. We underestimate the depth of our own sin. We underestimate our own racism. I'm, I'm saying that's to everybody. And our own hatreds and bitternesses and animosities that we carry our flesh. We underestimate the power of the world. We underestimate the beast of our culture and historical forces that have shaped us. Regardless of your ethnicity here, and these things, the world is so, the, the world's um, influence is like a, it's like a tidal wave that just pushes us into a mold of being like them. And in this area is no different. Racism and, and regard, relation to other cultures. But more importantly, and Ephesians, this is the theme of Ephesians. This issue of racism and division of cultures and ethnicities is about demonic powers. This is satanic. And that's why if you try to get a hold of it, you find yourself, it's so deep. You get so overwhelmed, you say, man, this just gets worse when I get into it. And you just want to run for the hills. And the barriers, this is not a, sociology and government, I mean, God bless for government programs, that is never going to fix that problem because it's a spiritual issue dealing with demonic powers of darkness, Ephesians 6, of the air. And this passage really is going to the fact that at that cross, Jesus disarmed the powers and authority. And he has opened the way for this now to change for God's people. And we are to lead the way as a voice prophetically the fact of in Jesus, this thing has been melted. So let me give you my, our, my three you know, I, you know, my three, to be, if we're going to be this, God's international fam, new international family, and I think we have a tremendous opportunity here being in New York City, obviously, uh, but it requires, I, I got my three words. One is a revelation. Revelation means you, you get it from Scripture, and I want to take a moment or two and just look at the Scripture here in Ephesians 2. This is not about it being convenient or feeling guilty or social pressure or you don't know who you are or, you know, so I'm going to dive myself into this issue. This is about really a revelation from God. And as you know, you can know the Bible in your head, but you don't know the Bible in your head. You don't know it in your life. And the Apostle Peter was a classic. I mean, he was with Jesus three years. I mean, he, he did miracles. He was at Pentecost. But the guy was a racist. And Acts 10 and 11, the longest story in the book of Acts, is about racism. Because he doesn't want to go to the Gentiles with the gospel. And God has to come down in a vision. And he's got to get moving. He's got to go to the leadership and talk to them because the church was insulated by its culture and God had to blow that thing up. But Peter had a revelation by the fact that the gospel is for all people. It's not about one culture. It's, it melts these cultures. And uh, it became real to them. And thank, you know what? If he hadn't opened that way, we wouldn't be sitting here today. It's the grace of God to open. Because they, they were entrenched. See, you can know the Bible. You can have your theology straight. But the truth is, you're as racist as ever can be. Because it's not penetrated deep in your heart just like it did for Peter. And so you're talking a good game, but the truth is it ain't working out. If anything we've learned in our little journey at New Life, if it doesn't work out practically, it ain't working. And so in verse 11 and 12, in this passage, Ephesians 2, 11 and 22, Paul begins by saying, listen, guys, you were chosen out of the world, chapter 1. You have a new identity. You're adopted in God's family. You've been redeemed, brought out of slavery. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
God's revealed to you his plan for the praise of his glory, that all things are going to be summed up in Christ. And he says, God's given you power. You're his glorious inheritance, the power that raised Christ from the dead, that you can really change. You're a different person now. And the, the power that raised Christ from the dead, Ephesians 1.18, is for you. All that power is available for you to change. Become the person God's called you to be. And then Ephesians 2, he goes into the fact that you're a, you were raised from the dead and you're a masterpiece. You're a work of art. You're, you're more glorious and stupendous than all the galaxies. That was last week. And now he says, now not only that, you're part of a new international family. And all the barriers of racism and ethnocentrism and hatred and bitterness, there's a whole new family that's been created. And that's why the early church, they called it a third race. Not Jew or Gentile, something totally new. A, a third race of people. And that's the revelation. Look, look here, he says, you, you, you were nowhere. But then he says in, in verse, and I wrote the verse down the back of me here, for he himself is our peace, where there is hatred, who has made the two one. He's referring to Jew, Gentile, that, that, that was the biggest division in that day. He made that two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing it in his flesh. That dividing wall of hostility is not simply the wall in Jerusalem that separated Jew, Gentile, it was demonic powers. That in his flesh, at that cross, he bore all the hatred and rage, and by his blood, he defeated the powers of darkness. And he's saying it's a new day. A door's been opened, and Christ has risen from the dead. And he himself is our peace. And then look, his purpose, verse 15, was to create in himself one new man out of the two. I love one translation of the message. says He created a new kind of human being. That's why you're never first your ethnicity. You're first a Christian. You're a new human being. You're, you, you don't fit in any culture anymore. You're a new culture, a new humanity. You've got to catch this word. He, he, his purpose. What was the purpose of Jesus at that cross? Not that you would, yes, that you would love God, but also there's a whole new family now. His purpose was to create. This is a creation. This is, let's take a little bit of Latino, a little bit of Asian, a little bit of African American, a little bit of white. No, no, white. No, no, this is, this is a new creation. His purpose was to create in himself, in Jesus, because only can take place in Jesus, one new man out of the two, one new humanity, something that never existed before, through the blood of Christ at that cross. It's unbelievable. That's a revelation. Therefore, that's why racism and, and division and hatred between people, this is the one place it doesn't belong. And the church is at the forefront in the culture, prophetically, of saying, God's here. This is, in the end of Ephesians 2, this is his house. He dwells here. And those divisions and racist uh, attitudes and, and, and social class divisions and gender issues and all the stuff that divides us, we here, we see each other, in a, not from a worldly point of view, but now in Christ. I just love that translation. He created a new kind of human being. A fresh start for everybody. You're part of a new international, worldwide, interracial family, whether you like it or not, when you come to Christ. So that's why it says, you know, in, in, in Revelation 5, with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. There's neither Jew nor Greek, it says in Galatians. There's, now there's no more Jew-Greek. There's no more slave or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Rich, poor, doesn't matter because you're one in Christ and, and we all have access to the Father. 
So here's my little, here's my little, you know, I, I made up a little, um, oh, here's my, yeah, with your blood you purchase men for God. Okay, here's my little, I made up a, I didn't have a, I'm not a very good PowerPoint creator, so I did the best I could, because Mike, my PowerPoint guy, is away for the weekend. So if, if I, if I had, I, I would have liked to have made a, like a continuum, but this is the best I could do with my skills. So I want you to think of, of normally like a right to left, all right? So on one end, if you think, you know, on the far, you know, one end, you've got the entrenched, uh, you know, whatever, racist, lack of bridge building. This is a person who's just, they're entrenched. They're like, you know what? I've got some hatred. I don't like certain people based on color or whatever, ethnicity or class, rich people, poor people. I'm just closed. I'm guarded. I just don't even care. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I'm set and I'm not changing. That's probably not too many people here in this room because you probably wouldn't be coming to a church like this. Um, but these people generally speak negatively, act negatively about groups or a group, okay? Then you've got the indifferent. Uh, these are the folks who, you know, they're not as outwardly nasty. They're just, they don't care. It, they're indifferent. They don't care about other races and cultures or the issues around it. It's just a non-issue. I live my life, and it's just not on my radar screen. Um, now, again, you're probably not on the one suffering from it, but you just don't care. Thirdly are those who are, the dis- I call them the despairing. The despairing are people are, you actually do believe is important, You've been around it long enough, you're just pessimistic that there'll ever be any real change. And uh, because the depth of conflict and hatred in people's hearts is so deep that you just can't even, the effort to take any active steps, you're just like, you despair about it. Then, if you think of, it's like almost like becoming a Christian, you know? At some point, you become a seeker. Like, oh, hey, you know? And you may say, I don't really understand the issues very well. Um, or the complexity, but I am interested in growing and learning. And I think the Bible does say something about it, and maybe somebody else, why you came to New Life, like, this is really interesting, this is really pretty cool, you know? This is like, wow, you know? And, and uh, maybe you're a young college student or grad student, you know, you're popping in, and like, this is really, and you're a seeker. But uh, at some point, uh, hopefully you get born again. Again. Come across, you're a born again bridge builder. And kind of like Peter, what happened to Peter in Acts 10 and 11? It's like, wow, you understand Ephesians 2. You actually understand this text we just looked at. You, you get it. That this is, this is a revelation from God. This is not about me liking it or disliking it or wanting to or not. This is about, this is about God. God has spoken this. This is what Jesus died on the cross for this. And I'm a part of a new international family. I, this is, I, what am I going to do? I must do it because of Christ. And, and so I'm, I'm part of a third race. And uh, I'm a new creation, and therefore I am leaving, in a sense, partially my culture, my race, my family, every, the world, because I'm part of Jesus now and his family. And so you're very intentional at this point. And then you're like a baby bridge builder. Then you become a child bridge builder. You know, a baby bridge builder is like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need someone to feed me to help me move forward. Then, you know, I'm a child bridge builder. Like, I'm starting to walk on my own two feet. You know, I'm energetic. I'm getting some new information, but I'm still falling a lot. Now I'm a teenage bridge builder. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You're, like, you're, like, you're in a group that's, you know, got some friends here, and, and you're really engaging some of the issues, and, and you're maturing, but you're making some periodic failures on your face. And, and then hopefully by God's grace at some point, on the other end of the continuum, you're like, wow, I am an adult bridge builder. I'm still making mistakes and learning, but you know what? I'm now helping other people. I mean, I'm, I'm this invested. I am, I'm helping other people process their racism and help them understand this is part of the gospel. This is what a church is supposed to be about. And this is not a side issue if, if God calls you to it. This is about being a Christian, that we are at the forefront of this issue you know, nationally. And so, you know, I guess you want, as you look at this little racism bridge builder continuum, you say, well, where am I on this? You know? And it's good, it's helpful to ask ourselves that. You know, do I live in an awareness 
of the issues of racism? Am I even aware? Do I live in it? And then what practical steps actually am I taking to bring down barriers? Because that is, Jesus came to bring down barriers. He came to destroy the dividing wall of hostility. That's why he came. So every Christian is part of his work. That was his purpose. Not just that it's truth in the heavenlies, that's supposed to be true on earth. And the idea of, of, of racism and segregation in churches is abhorrent. Because it goes against the whole cross. So, so that's one, it's just this revelation. Okay? That was just point one. But I'll be quick on point two and three. The second is the issue of just separateness. And I'll be brief on this. I, you know, separateness, and that is I, 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 I have to embrace I'm separate from everybody else too. In other words, um, we each come from distinctive cultures here, uh, many of us. We have probably 65, 75 countries and represented here, and nationalities. But that each culture is fallen and broken and sinful. Uh, and I know some people here uh, that you hate your culture, which is sad. I mean, my, my culture, you know, I, actually, I got a skit today. Oh, it's very nice for me, you know. But, uh, you know, as an Italian-American, I have great shame of some things of my culture, you know. And, and just, you know, I remember growing up, I mean, we hated other Italians. You know, the funny thing about it, isn't it? You know, even within cultures, you hate people not like you. Tremendous hatred. I mean, you couldn't ever date a girl or marry a woman from, in my case, Sicily. You know, it was incredible. She's Sicilian? I don't know. I don't know. She's Sicilian. I have no idea, you know. And I remember hearing stories of, you know, people being killed, going through certain neighborhoods in New York. You know, Italians being killed and, you know, going through certain neighborhoods and them killing people. I'm really, really hurt. People going through our neighborhoods. You know, it was that intense hatred and uh, a generation ago, not that long ago, I mean, heavy. So I'm, I'm embarrassed by that. I'm, I mean, I, but so my culture's got some sickness, so like every culture. But like every culture, it's got some glory of God in it too. And the image of God is in every culture. Thousands and thousands of cultures on the earth. There's a, and, and, and the Revelation says at the end of history, each culture will bring their glory to the throne and lay it at the feet of Jesus. And so it's this beautiful, lovely thing. So there is a place that we need to separate ourselves. I am different than you, and you're different than me. That, that's a lovely, beautiful thing. We don't just, we don't get, we don't assimilate. We don't, uh, we're not indifferent, nor do we annihilate people who are different than us. You know, I, I was thinking about domestic abuse. You know what domestic abuse is? It's you're not going to be separate from me. I'm going to beat you up. Really, when there's, when there's abuse in families, physical abuse, it's about, I'm going to beat you because you're not, not going to be different than I am. Part of maturing, we had a retreat yesterday, a leadership retreat. Our theme was alone together, that we want to, we want to appreciate people's separateness as we're together. But we don't accept people's separateness. We end up having to control them, manipulate them, do power plays on them, and in some cases get physically violent. And so it's just great to just stop and think about at the end of history, you know, just imagine the end of history. We're going to be before God in the throne. And I can tell you this, the music ain't going to be your music alone. You know, you're going to have Levites from David's time who are going to be singing psalms with their harps, and you're going to have clapping African saints and European reformers doing majestic hymns. You're going to have monks doing chanting, Gregorian chants. You'll have Ethiopian and Egyptian Coptic chants, you know. You're going to have Latin American Pentecostals floating around. You're going to have some urban rappers in there. I mean, what's, I don't know. What, I mean, that's going to be quite a worship experience, you know that? I mean, who knows? But uh, the gift of each tribe and every family is going to be brought to the throne. And, uh, and that's the reason, friends, for emotionally healthy spirituality, new life. I mean, I, I don't know if you're all aware of this, but, but as we began our early days, we've had a vision. For, we were gonna, I mean, I, I, we started new life 20 years ago. It came out of a vision that we were going to live out Ephesians 2. But I remember in the early years saying something's wrong with our discipleship because people ain't changing, period. 
uh, it was too superficial. It's only exterior change, but it wasn't getting to deep roots of racism. And I said, something about the way I was taught discipleship is missing. And that's how we got into this whole emotional spirituality. But the fact that you've got to know yourself, who, to, who are you? But if you don't grieve, we're going to grieve things like grieving. If you don't grieve your own griefs in your life, how are you going to grieve other cultures' griefs? How am I going to grieve with an African-American wrestling with racism? Well, I don't grieve my own pain in my own life. And you wonder, well, because I haven't done that kind of discipleship. If you don't incarnate and love well your spouse, who may be of the same neighborhood you grew up in, you don't listen to them well, how are you going to listen to someone from the other part of the world? If you don't speak clearly, directly, respectfully, if you don't fight fairly, how are you going to fight fairly and get in this? Demonic powers are going to rip you up and eat you for dinner. That's why discipleship has got to be serious in following Jesus. Oh, we don't have a prayer getting into this because you know what? The evil one has got, he's got inroads all over people's lives. And then you just pick the day to blow up the bomb. And so things like, you know, brokenness and weakness, right, is a value of emotional, healthy spirituality that we, we move. And in this new culture of Jesus, we're broken. We're not proud and defensive, right? We, 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 we glory in our weakness. Well, that, that's, you know, we don't do that. How are you going to get the table and discuss this issue? I mean, I can go on and on, you know. And, and we're, of course, we're passionate for Jesus because Jesus is the one who unites us and brings us together. That's why the contemplative. But we're, we're a new culture here, everybody. We've all left our culture, and we're part of what's been called in the early church. They couldn't think of a name. They said, these Christians are just a third race because you're so different altogether. I don't know how to even call them. It's very fascinating how that was a big word. So, all right. So that's second. I, I embrace my separateness. All right, here's the third. I, I didn't I know what to call it. I'm just, the third word I just have is bravery because I like bravery better than what's in parentheses, which is suffering. Um, it's just more positive. I, I, I just... Let's, let's be frank. This is very hard. This is really hard. And um, <clears throat> if you don't know it's hard, it's because you haven't done it yet. Because you're going up against powers and principalities of darkness. And if you think this is easy, I can tell you one thing. If you actually move forward in, in moving, you will quit. That I'm sure about. You will not, you will not continue. Because you will get killed in this process. I mean, it's a cruel crucifixion. John Perkins, who was here a few weeks ago, uh, one of the reasons I admire him, and he's such a great man, he's been faithful for, you know, 50 years of <laughs> serving Christ, but really trying to be a reconciler. Uh, uh, and he shared in the afternoon session, he, we had a, just, he answered questions for a couple of hours, but he shared about the one crisis of his life, spiritually. Now remember, he was in, in, the, he was a, in the early 1960s, he, he was on the forefront of civ that civil rights movement, and he was actually calling churches in the South to reconciliation. He's from Mississippi. Okay, one of the deeply, most deeply racist uh, states. And he's, he's calling the African-American church to reconcile their bitterness and hatred of the white church. He's calling the white church to reconcile. He was in the middle. Everybody wanted to kill him. And he almost got killed. He was beaten almost to death at one point. But he became very close friends with two white people. For the first time in his life, he actually became friends with these white guys. And they were very close, praying together, you know, trying to be bridge builders in the gap. But these two white guys paid such a price they, they were, they, they, you know, jobs, they lost their, the churches, you know, threw them out, their families, that these two guys over a period of time both committed suicide. And he said that was the biggest crisis of his faith. Because he said, I, I knew what the Bible taught, like Ephesians 2, I know what the text says, but I, I was struggling. That does the gospel have enough power to burn through racism? That was the question, he said. And he went through a long, dark night of the soul. 
And he said, I, I concluded that it does, and I saw it. But he was under no illusion about the suffering involved and uh, the bravery it would take. And, uh, you know, it, it, it takes courage to look at the truth, which is often very complex. I mean, it, it's, it's, this is a difficult topic, right? I mean, but Jesus says the truth will set you free. And you can't live in lies and half-truths and hope it's all hunky-dory. I mean, I, one of my books I read over the, um, my, the summer was a book called Founding Fathers, written by some historian. I forget the university he was from. But uh, he was writing about uh, the Founding Fathers, and, and one of the chapters was on the writing of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, that whole process with Thomas Jefferson. Because about that time, you know, half the colonies were, sla- were really big on slavery because the economic engine, the thing was slavery was growing at that time in the United States. And basically, a huge debate. I didn't, I, I, until I read all the transcripts, I had no idea the magnitude of the debate about racism and slavery that went on on the founding fathers of our country. I was like, whoa, I didn't realize they talked about it so much and went back and forth. But basically, make a long story short. Um, uh, you know, you had Thomas Jefferson, for example, obviously, who wrote that phenomenal document, but he had slaves. I mean, it was, you know, they, they, they were living contradictions, and they, and they knew it. But they basically came to a place of saying, we have to postpone the issue. You know, we can't deal with it because these people will, will leave. There'll be too much conflict internally. And uh, they just didn't stand for it. They just, it would, it would be, the cost was going to be too great. Because some, some I, think it was, I forget which one it was, I think it was John Adams. One of the guys was so clear and articulate about the issue, about the, you know, the, the contradiction to have this document and allow slavery. I mean, and, they, and there were a number of people with him. And he lost, but he, I, I couldn't believe the clarity. With, we would think he wrote Ephesians too. It, it was so clear, but they said, we can't. There's too much, basically too much suffering involved. So as we know, they postponed it, and then we had the Civil War 70 years later. And, uh, you know, but it took Abe Lincoln, you know, that moment, a guy like him to stand up and say, no more. You know, and then you had a Civil War breakout. So I, I say bravery because it was really quite striking. I said, it's no different today. The costs are, cr- are tremendous. It's a cost. If you don't want a cost, then you're not going to deal with demonic powers and see something of God break through. And I'll be honest with you, a part of me is like, hey, do I need this? i got enough problems. But of course, I have the choice to make that, don't I? And some of us, we're in a place we can make that choice. Others are not. Very different. So I'd like to close with this invitation. You know, I, God's, you know, God's inside of you. You receive Christ. You're a, you're a work of art. You're a masterpiece, and, and you're more glorious than the galaxies themselves. And God's got a work for you to do. He's prepared in advance something for you to do. This is part of it, I believe, for all believers, to bust through this in our culture. And there's a heroic seed in everybody. Like, you know, you, know, you go to movies, you like to watch heroes. Like, you know, if you went to Star Wars, like we like Luke Starwalker, you know. Luke Skywalker went up against Darth Vader, you know, in a dark force. Like, yeah. And so vicariously, we're like a hero through Luke, you know. Or if you're into Spider-Man, you know, what's the guy's name? Peter, pa- Peter Parker? You know, he gets bit by the spider, he, becomes, he helps all the innocent, right? And we're like, oh, I'll be Spider-Man, you know? And you kind of vicariously feel heroic through Spider-Man, you know? Or, or maybe it's Lord of the Rings, you know, you're Frodo, you know? <laughs> you're going to take care of the, with the ring, you know? You're, you're heroic, fighting against the evil. But you see, God's created something new. That's the point of this text here. He, his purpose, verse 15, was to create in himself one new man out of the two, a whole new humanity. Through the cross, through the cross he did it. A new human race, something that's never existed before. It's called the people of God. The power from heaven that raised Christ from the dead is now available for us. 
for change in us and through us, around us. And uh, a fresh start for everybody. I love that. And, and our status is a third race. We're part of a new international, interracial, worldwide family that's more splendid than any earthly empire. And this God has given us power not to dominate, to, but to really know that you're loved, to really know that you can live without fear, to really know that the power of the past can be broken in your life, the power to know that you can love people you hate right now, the power to know that you can wait on God and trust them even when you're going through a crucifixion. That, friends, is power. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And so I want to invite you and all of us to this. That we talk, this is our theme for the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. Where, because we, we, we want to receive the power and we want to grasp the love of God. Because when you grasp the love of God, you can't hate. Because God himself is love. I mean, this is God. And I love that prayer of Paul here. Because it's the center of the whole book of Ephesians, applied in every direction. He goes, I pray that you, uh, this is my short version here, may have power. Friends, Ephesians is about power. Jesus defeated the powers and principalities of darkness, of evil, of racism and division and hatred that keep people enslaved. And he goes, I pray that you may have the power to grasp how wide, think how wide, think of the width of the earth, think of the width of the universe, how long, think of the length of the universe, the height of the universe, how deep of the universe. That's the love of Christ. I pray you might grasp it and to know it. And that word know is intimately know it. You might experience it. It might go in the depth of your being and melt you. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And then it closes by saying that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Whatever that means. Be full, full of God. You're a whole new person. We're a whole new people. A dwelling which God lives by his spirit. So, worship team, come on forward. And we're going to pray. I want to invite you, just let's open up our hearts right now, first to the power of God. Lord, I can't change myself, and we can't change ourselves. So Lord, we ask that the power, your incomparably great power that raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to heavenly realms far above all titles and names. Ask that power, God, come inside of me. Cleanse me of all bitterness, racism, hatred, suspicion, prejudice, arrogance, superiority. Come, Lord, with your power and fill me. Transform me. And, Lord, your love, let your love just wash over me. Lord, I pray, help me to grasp. Give me power to grasp. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This love that surpasses knowledge. Let the love of God just wash over you right now. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. <laughs>